Deep down, one of the desires that we all have is to, to be treated fairly, to experience fairness, to, to get what we deserve. And, and there are times where we feel as though we've been treated unfairly. Sometimes it's because we've been singled out. Think how, how aggrieved you would be if you were in a class and all of the class got dismissed 10 minutes early, but the professor asked you to, to come back and to not only be in class for an extra 10 minutes, but to have to sit down and take a quiz. You would have no warning and you would wonder, why am I the one person who's been called back? It seems unfair that I'm going to be evaluated differently than the rest of my peers. There's another type of unfairness that we sometimes experience or feel when we're grouped in with people that, that are, are, liked us, are like us, and people make assumptions about us because of, of some kind of, of demographic that we hold to or have. Any Californians in the house today? California? Yeah, you know what? Where I'm from, we know that Californians are horrible drivers. And, and when you see someone with, with California plates, you give them a, a wider berth and, and you get over a lane and then you give them a little a look and an extra look because you're afraid that they're going to take the, this, this phrase, get your swerve on literally while in their car and smash into the side of your car. And there are probably some Californians here who are thinking, that's not fair and I'm a great driver. And on point one, you're right. And on point two, 90% of you are wrong. That's okay. We'll pray for you and, and, and we'll help you in the, in the land of wide open spaces. You can swerve a little bit and it'll be okay. We don't like to be grouped in with people who are like us if we feel as though we are not like the norm. And when we look at this idea of humanity, one of the things that we really wrestle with is what does it mean for all of us to be born sinful? What's it mean for all of us to be born sinful? Because we talk about people being generally good. And I think we like to think of ourselves as being generally good. But in Genesis, we see this story of God creating the whole world, not only good, but perfect. And of God creating humanity in in a good way. And of God being in this perfect relationship with his creation. And then because of the sin of one person, of this Adam, sin is let into the whole entire world. And we're drafted into this giant cosmic battle of good versus evil. wages in our hearts and we lose. It wages all around us and we suffer the repercussions of it. And, and we are deemed to be a sinful people. We are deemed to be a sinful race. That race of humanity passes down sin from generation to generation. And I think sometimes we can look at that and say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Not only is it not fair, it's, it's super not fair because the stakes are so high. Paul talks about this unfairness in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law. But sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. 
when we see that account from Genesis, and, and when we look at this idea that death has spread to all people, that sin has spread to all people because of the sin of, of one person, we might think to ourselves, man, if only I could have five minutes in the room with a tree and a snake, I would take that snake and I'd whip it around my head, I'd bash it against the tree, I'd skin it, make a belt and some boots out of it, I'd saunter out there with that snake held high and I would save all humanity. I would be the anti-sin superhero. We would like to think that maybe that would be fair for all of us to at least get a chance to, to be judged on our own merits as to whether or not we would have the, the arrogance to truly want to know like God knows. But that's not how it went down. That's not how it went down. And what we see in Scripture is that there is an extent to which life, to which our very existence is not fair. It's not an equal playing field. There is not an opportunity for each and every one of us to acquit ourselves on our own merits because we've already been born sinful. And if that's where Paul had stopped the thought, and if that's where God had left us to be, then the rest of this sermon would be a pep talk to you, a pep talk that a lot of us receive from our parents or from our coaches or from our teachers. Yeah, you, you, you've come from a hard place. It'll be a little bit harder for you, so get the help you need and, and, and try a little bit more. Yeah, there are people out there who are bigger than you, who are faster than you, who are stronger than you, so you need to practice harder. Yeah, yeah, it might be tough for you to, to process the information, so you need to spend a few more minutes in the library so that you can catch up with your peers. That is the narrative that we live with a lot of times, that life is an unbalanced playing field, and so that there are, are concessions that we have to make. There's an awareness that we have to have. There are things that we have to do so that we can get where we need to go. That's not what Paul says here in regard to, to what happens in this unfair world. He admits that, yeah, life ain't fair. But then he goes on to say, praise God that it ain't. Because he talks at the end of verse 14 about Adam being a type of the one who was to come. And when we read that, in our understanding of English, we might think of that as being, okay, Adam is an example of the one who is to come. And that becomes a, a depressing thought. But in, in a theological sense, and in the way that Paul talks about it, Adam is the type, and what will follow him is the anti-type. The one that will be the opposite of him. There will maybe be some similarities but at the end of the day, one is going to come that is going to undo what Adam has done. Paul goes on in verse 15 to say, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely has had the grace of God, and the free gift and the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment flowing out of one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift flowing, following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as the one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was the type of the one that was to come. And the one that was to come would be the anti-type. And so whereas the, 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 the decision that Adam made to partake of the fruit led us into sin and to darkness and to brokenness, whereas that led us into all of us being separated from God, one would come after him whose hope and whose purpose and whose every effort would be to bring us back, would be reconciliation, would be to undo what Adam had done. And not only that, but this, this similarity that Adam's sin covered all of humanity that was to come after him, the anti-type's goodness, the anti-type's righteousness would cover all of us who would come from Adam all the way through all of us who will come until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to restore us into the fullness of the eternal presence of God. And so it's all-encompassing, and it's all good, and it's all there, and it's all already been done. And not only that, but just as it seemed as though sin turned out the lights, sin could not keep pace with the abounding grace and mercy of God. The darkness could not outpace the light. And it says there, Paul says there in Romans chapter 5, that even though sin and brokenness were spread across all people, grace abounded even more. Grace abounded even more. And so what we see is that in this cosmic battle, it's not fair. It's not an equal playing field. There is an imbalance and while we feel as though we've been, been brought into something, dragged into something where everything is against us, in reality, the paradigm that we should have, the perspective that we should have is praise God that life isn't fair because God has given us more than we could ever ask for. God has given us more than we could ever earn. God has given us more than we can deserve. God's not locking us in the room with that tree and that snake knowing that we would probably fail because each of us at some point in time would lose patience or or would rise in arrogance or would be seduced or would be enticed by the darkness. No, God has offered us something and he's offered us something free and he's offered us something eternal. And there's nothing that darkness can ever do to fully extinguish that light. And there will come a day, there will come a day where that light will shine bright. And these mirages that we see now and these aches and these pains, those things will go away. It's already been foretold. It's already been determined. And so where we sit now, we sit at the edge of these two paths. We sit in a place where we could say, do I want to follow in the footsteps of my ancestor Adam? And do I want to walk down this path that is continually and further away from God? Or do I want to be a part of this thing that God has made possible? Do I want to be a part of this thing that, that God has offered me? Do I want to be part of this thing that, that is so good? And instead of practicing every single day to live in a life of disobedience, do I want to maybe start living the life 
of the justified. Knowing that I'm not earning anything for myself, knowing that I'm not changing God's mind about who I am, knowing that, that, that this isn't a life that's about gold stars, but simply living in the reality of what God has already accomplished. Because it's already been poured out, not as a little sprinkle, but as a waterfall over each and every one of us. I think a lot of us, we don't wrestle with um, uh, the second act of life very well. I've been reading this book um, that just kind of talks about how essentially we live in our brokenness and how we live in our vulnerability. And it's not written by a theologian. It's written by a sociologist. This sociologist, she, she went um, one day, she was invited to go speak at Pixar. And they were talking about um, what makes good stories and, and what makes good life a good life. And the people that she was talking to at Pixar who have made movies that have resonated with so many of us is, is that, you know, you can't skip over the middle act. You can't skip over the middle act. You have a first act where you're uh, introduced to the characters. And you see the, the good things that they can do, and you see the bad things that they can do, and then something happens. And then that middle act is where those characters have to live in what's happened as they move then toward the final act, which is that place of, of, of wholeness. And in that middle act, the characters, they, they learn something about themselves, and they learn something about the world around them, and it fundamentally changes how they interact with their world. That's true of every Pixar movie that you've seen, the Toy Stories and, and the Cars and, and the Bugs Life. And one of the things that this author realized about her life and about the conversations that she had with people is that sometimes she was too quick to skip over that middle act. That she would meet people and she would be introduced to people and she would be introduced to the brokenness, but she would want to move fully to wholeness. And what we're called to do in this life is to live in the second act, knowing that, that the wholeness is coming knowing that the sun is going to rise, knowing that the day will break, knowing that water will be poured out on our, our parched tongues and on our dry lands. But for us to sit here in this place and to think about, okay, what does it look like to live a life of repentance and a life of change, to know that God has fought the battle for me. And all I have to do is allow God to fight that battle while I seek after and thirst after his presence and his wholeness and his goodness, and his peace, the completion that he views me in, and the completion that he wants for my life. I think some of us have, have done that before. Some of us haven't. And if that's something that you've never done before, if that's something that you've never realized before, if you've been stuck in our atomness, if you've been stuck in our sin, and if you've been stuck in our brokenness, then, then today I want to invite you into what God has for you. And into what God has already accomplished for you. I want to invite you to come into the light. And if you're a person who maybe kind of skipped over the middle act and some of the, the hard work that, that God wants to do in your life and, and, and you kind of, you know, got saved or made a commitment or whatever and felt like you were going straight to, to the happy ending and now things aren't quite working out the way that you realize, let's just, let's take a step back and let's work through some of that stuff to identify where Adam still has a hold of in our lives and how God wants to change that, and how God wants to illuminate that. We have an opportunity today to respond, and we have the opportunity to respond by, by, by singing. 
and ministry teams is going to lead us in that time. And, and as they come up, I want you to prepare your heart for whatever God needs this time to be in your life. Maybe to move you from Act 1 to, to Act 2. Maybe to move you back from pretending like you've finished the story and, and made it to Act 3 and, and dragging you back into back, two, back to Act 2 for a little bit to work on some things in our lives. But over the next 10 to 15 minutes, as we sing out to God, let's do so as people who are vulnerable. Let's do so as people who recognize our sin. And let's do so as people who mourn our brokenness, but who realize that life ain't fair. Because God's given us more than we could ask for and more than we can ever deserve. And thank God for that. God, we do thank you for this time. And um, we thank you for just the heaviness that comes sometimes with realizing our sin. But we also, God, thank you for plowing a path ahead of us, for going ahead of us, and, and, and for pouring out your grace and your mercy in the history of humanity and in our lives. Thank you for making something right that we could not make right. So even though the grind might, might wear us down, even though the battle might wear us down, lead us, God, today into a place where we recognize the victory that you have accomplished for us. Amen.